It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103. And I still have... The sounds and tunes of Nye Rogers and Sheik ringing in my head. I was back at Live at the Marquee last night and it was a fantastic concert. I don't think anyone that was there could have faulted uh, Nye Rogers for a 69-year-old man who has twice recovered from cancer. The energy levels of this guy and all of those on stage was incredible and the energy levels of the audience. People there's people waking up this morning and say with sore feet they haven't danced as much like that in a long time. It was terrific and of course if, it's only when you go along to Nile Rogers and Chic that you, you realise the talent of this man and he has written so many songs that we all know for so many of the big stars as he called them there. He's collaborations with the likes of Sister Sledge, Madonna, uh, David Bowie, Lady Gaga, Pharrell Williams and of course he's written lots of songs for Diana Ross as well and then of course all of their their own chic songs. It was just a brilliant. So and of course it was the penultimate a concert, one more concert to go tonight and that's live at the marquee for 2022 finished for this season and uh, by all accounts certainly anything I've heard any of, the, any of the events I was at and any events I heard other people were at another hugely hugely successful season of live at the marquee so well done to Aiken Promotions for bringing these world class acts onto our doorstep there's something great about getting back in the car and driving home and going into your your own bed rather than having to say stay in Dublin which was traditionally what we had to do in the uh, past when to get any of these big headline acts it, it really is fantastic so a brilliant night at Nile Rogers and Chic last night if you were there I take it like me you enjoyed it and we brought Marsha along and of course with the music being so loud she could almost feel every single beat of it and uh, she loved it as well 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls now we're already getting calls and uh, texts in let me just reference and get to uh, some of them just to get conversations under way. Jim in Newmarket was on to say he received an email from Vodafone yesterday completely out of the blue telling him that they were going to disconnect Jim in Newmarket from Vodafone. Why? Because they claim he's exceeded his broadband limit even though he's on unlimited data. So he got back onto them totally refusing to reconnect him so he's now had to sort out and move to a different provider. But he contacted us to say had this happened to uh, anybody else and John Paul says he has had calls from people, including 
his good self. John Paul was disconnected from Vodafone for the very same reason, and even though he said he wasn't excessively using uh, broadband. So I don't quite know what's going on and I don't know how widespread it is. But it's not that you even get a warning to say, look, it looks like you are exceeding your broadband limit. And if you don't rein it in, we are then going to disconnect you. It's literally getting an email to say we've disconnected you, boom, and it's gone. It's, that's very, very frustrating indeed. So it's with Vodafone, don't know if it's happened with other broadband providers that you get disconnected, not for not paying your bill, Jim's bill, we're all paid, all up to date. And by all accounts, he was happy out to use the Vodafone service, but they've decided they don't want our Jim as a customer anymore because they claim he's exceeding his broadband limit. And John Paul asked him, was he excessively using the broadband? And he said, no, he wasn't. So that happened to anybody else? 0818103103. And then Margarita was on. Again, looking for, looking for advice on this one. And this is to do with teenage, in her case, it's teenage boys, but this could reference to teenage girls as well. They're all now on their summer holidays and officially from yesterday, the last of the Leaving search paper. So all of the secondary school students, I think all of the primary school primary schools are out now as well. So summer 2022 is officially underway. And for many teenagers, teenagers like to go out and get work. For the parents of teenagers, they like their teenagers to go out as, as work, to work as well. So she's got two boys. And she said her 17-year-old, when he was 15, he that's when he got his first summer job. She had his first job two years ago. So she's sweeping floors and stacking shelves in a local shop. And he did that every been doing that every summer uh, since. But now his second boy, who is uh, going to turn 15 in the summer, when Margarita is talking to her younger lad about getting work, he has no interest in working at all. And he's actually claiming there's no jobs out there anymore. There's no jobs for 15-year-olds. Times, they are changing and there's no jobs available. But Margarita is saying, surely there's jobs in hospitality for 15-year-olds do shops take on workers as young as uh, 15? So she's wondering, are other parents finding this a problem? Is there now an issue with 15-year-olds going out to work? And she's starting to think now, is it insurance costs? Is that one of the reasons that they're not taking on young workers? So I suppose we need to hear from employers. Are there any employers out there? Are you employing boys and girls as young as uh, 15? And then from other parents of teenagers... Is your 15-year-old, 16-year-old going out to work this summer? Certainly babysitting jobs, obviously, but that's just something that you probably do locally with the local family. You certainly would have teenagers uh, doing that. But um, actually going out and working in hospitality or working in shops, I imagine, because we know we have a labour shortage. I imagine there's lots of businesses are really hoping that young people are going to knock on their door and, and to say, I'm available for work. So anyone out there with 15-year-olds, where, where are they getting work? What type of work uh, is available? And as I say to employers, are there employers listening? Are you taking on 15-year-olds for summer work? This summer, 0818103103. And then, a, there's no name on this text. There isn't saying, hi, Patricia, could somebody please clarify, when will the over 60s be getting a second booster? Because our last one was at the start of last December. And now we're coming up the end of June. It's the 1st of July on Friday. And this listener says, we're left to battle COVID 
This listener feels with little or no protection, considering the vaccines wane over time, making us much more likely to get seriously ill. If people are being hospitalised with Omicron, then it is serious enough to want to avoid. So why are this age uh, group, the under 65s, being denied protection? There's no shortage of vaccines. Is this not age discrimination? Well, I did read last week and I did hear our own Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, state that NIAC, who are the National Immunisation Advisory uh, Committee, that they were giving serious consideration to extending the vaccination booster programme to those under the age of 65. Now, that was early last week. Haven't been able to find out anything since and certainly NIAC haven't come out and made any announcement, but they certainly were looking at it. I know a number of weeks ago the suggestion was going to be that come September when they start to do maybe late late August, when they start to do the flu vaccines, that they'll start offering an additional booster to people under the age of 65. But we have to wait for NIAC. This isn't a government decision. NIAC make the recommendation to government because it was NIAC who recommended that those over the age of 65 and those who are immune compromised, they're they already have advised them to get their second booster and there has been a low enough take up of that second booster in people over the age of 65 but as of yet we're still waiting on recommendation and this listener is right there is no shortage of vaccines because I also saw a piece earlier in the paper that we have so many vaccines we can't find countries now you know we give away and pass on our vaccines to other countries that need them but we ordered so many at the start when there was so much scramble for vaccines there was orders being put in left right and centre that we have ended up with too much vaccines and of course vaccines have a sell by date so if we can't pass them on to countries that need them but it seemingly any country that needs them has adequate vaccines at this stage so there are vaccines going out there will be vaccines going to waste so it isn't an issue that isn't the reason that people under the age of 65 are not being offered another booster it's nothing to do with availability of uh, vaccines but the HSC is preparing an emergency response plan to tackle further outbreaks if there was, say, any potentially deadly COVID variants that arrived or indeed it could be any other virus could land on our shores. And this all happened yesterday when the Cabinet were told the HSE is now developing a strategy to allow it to rapidly reactivate a testing and tracing system if the need were to arise. And part of the plan is the HSE are going to recruit 200 National Ambulance Service personnel and they'll be trained to become swabbers and first swabbing first responders is what they're going to call them and what will happen is that these new National Ambulance Service recruits will then be deployed in units to scenes if there was a major outbreak and they could have like mobile testing centres and they could drop them into uh, communities if there was a surge in COVID cases and the strategy has been developed as the HSE are now starting to scale back on the national testing. We know they're scaling back on the tracing, the contact tracing uh, system, and they're shifting the focus now for identifying transmission and obviously the, the treatment of COVID patients. They're shifting that to GPs. So the Cabinet were told that the HSE has been transiting from this mass COVID testing to a system in which the virus is managed kind of in a similar way that they would manage any other infectious disease. What that would mean is that people with COVID would be treated in the future, mainly primary care level, and it would be done by their GPs if they had any severe uh, symptoms because for the majority of people who are picking up COVID-19, it is relatively mild and the symptoms can be treated at home. Now, for some, 
for some and some are ending up uh, in hospital and some will end up going to the doctor because they'll have more severe symptoms but for the majority of people it is a relatively mild illness thanks to the vaccines and the boosters. The Health Protection Surveillance uh, Centre along with information provided by GPs they'll be responsible for tracking the transmission of the virus. However ministers were told an emergency plan is needed just to ensure the appropriate resilience is maintained in the HSC just in case anything was to go wrong and there was suddenly a deadly variant that sprung up or God forbid that a new virus uh, we, had, we had a different pandemic and despite uh, our details of this emergency plan came after the government signed off on new legislation Now we mentioned this yesterday which allows the government to make mask wearing mandates in certain settings now the move was described as precautionary and no settings have been earmarked for the return of the legal requirement to wear face coverings. I think when it was mentioned yesterday that this legislation was going to be passed by the Cabinet, I think some people put two and two together and came up with ten and thought that the mask wearing mandate was back. It's not. What's going to happen is they're going, they have this piece of legislation Now it seems it's not going to be ready before the Dahl summer at re- uh, recess. So it'll be later on in the year it'll pass. And But a memo on the legislation has said the impact on citizens and businesses would be considered to be relatively minor, particularly since the bill will include provision for a reasonable excuse for those people who can't wear a mask. But it is the first signal and significant move in the government's response to COVID for a number of months. And it comes obviously at a time that there are rising case numbers and hospitalisations. And, you know, for that reason, some people would like to see masks back because they're seeing numbers rise all the time. A government source says that there is no public health rationale for masks to return at the moment. And the government doesn't see the legislation being enacted in the near future. So they're doing it and they're putting it in place purely as precautionary and letting people know that they're still monitoring the situation and they are ready to take action and if needs be the legislation will be in place it wouldn't be that they were scrambling suddenly they needed to have a mask mandate put in place and the legislation wasn't there so it's been done for a precautionary measure but certainly as of now there is no mandatory requirement to wear a mask it is completely up to yourself and that doesn't mean that you don't if if you feel more comfortable wearing masks and I've started to notice because we went through the stage where nobody was wearing masks but I think because everyone is hearing we're back to kind of the stage where everybody seems to know somebody who has COVID-19 and I think for that reason people who are who feel vulnerable about getting it people are starting to wear masks more and that's absolutely fine and people should be allowed to do with whatever they feel comfortable doing. On teenagers and getting teenagers out to work and is the work available for teenagers uh, Marion in Rathgormack says yes I agree with your earlier texter. My son is 15. He is well able to head out and work but guess what he's more interested in sitting in his room playing computer games all day they're the online games where they interact with others. Well I've no problem with them spending time playing these games online. I would rather that he was out working, learning life skills, but it's trying to motivate him to get up, 
get out and do a job. Judy said she's very lucky her son works in a local shop. However, her problem is with her teenage daughter. Her teenage daughter had a job and then gave it up and has now no interest in finding summer work. I'm not sure will I ever get her out to work. I feel working in your teenage years is great for life skills into the future. But uh, I'm surprised this Judy in my house that it's the girl I'm having the problem with, not the young fella. He is back out there and he got a job and is getting on uh, with it. And then thank you for that. Aideen said uh, Duns will take them on at 16, but they won't allow them to work on the tills or in the alcohol aisle. But they're allowed to do everything else within the store. My daughter worked with them when she was 16. It was Duns and Carrigaline and she never worked later than 9.30 at night. And that was because of, of her age. They were great to work for says Aideen. Thank you for that, Aideen. And then another listener says, Patricia, there are simply no jobs out there for young people. Now, she says, I have a very quiet 17-year-old. He's been trying to get a job since December of 2020. When he turned 16, he hasn't been successful. He's been for numerous interviews within the hospitality sector, never gets a call back. So there's no excuse for the hospitality sector to be crying out, saying they can't get workers when there are plenty of st- students who are desperately trying to get work. And that's, that is, is, that's tough when you have a young lad. And I know you describe him as, as quiet. I wonder how are, how are the interviews going for him? Does he find them very nerve wracking if he's a very quiet young that and particularly when he wants to work and he's not able to to secure a job I wonder could he look at a different sector if the hospitality sector isn't uh, working out uh, for him but yeah that is that's soul destroying when he's trying and trying uh, so hard as opposed to the ones who don't want to leave the bedroom just want to stay at home and loll around for the summer they're two very different group of uh, young people 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie unfortunately what often gets highlighted are bad and landlords who do not look after their tenants properly and sadly that can then tarnish the view of the good landlords but the very same can be said about tenants because not all tenants treat the property they are renting with respect and Seamus joins me this morning to outline one such story good morning to you Seamus good morning Patricia now this How are you? I'm very well thank you now this isn't your but rather you are managing apartments for a company tell me the story tell me the story of the lady with her daughter that you accepted as a tenant yeah about less than two years ago we had this property um refurbished and redecorated and everything put into it brand new and this lady came from the count through the council then on this hap scheme yeah and she had a, a probably a two-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl with her. But anyway, for the two years that she was inside in it, strictly with us, there is no dogs with council tenants, no pets of any description. But halfway through her tenancy, she decided that, that she'd pick up a dog or whoever dropped the dog to her or whatever, a pit bull or a... a, a, a pit staff or whatever they call them, them fairly big dog, like a vicious looking dog. But anyway, in the heat of the hunt, she she left the dog in the apartment. Now, hang on. Did you become aware that there was a dog in the apartment? Oh, I did on, on several occasions, yeah. And I did I did ask them to remove the dog and whatever. But like they tell you then that, oh, we have to have it. And, 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 and you've no, you 
move no authority to tell us to move the dog and all this crap, you know. So she, in turn, then went away in, in holidays or wherever for about three weeks. And she left the dog in the apartment. The dog then, of course, being starved, started to eat the furniture, ate the doors, door frames, furniture, the beds, destroyed the carpet. Like we're talking, this apartment cost 8000 to put back to, for renting again, which is now back renting. But in the meantime, the dog died of starvation oh inside the apartment. Oh, my God. Right? And when she came back, obviously, she picked the dog up yeah. and uh, she put the dog into a, back, a black bin liner and put the dog, the bin liner, into the, a, a wardrobe in the bedroom where the dog remained for about three months announced to us because we have no authority to enter that property until she vacate the property. Was she living in the apartment with her little two-year-old and a dead dog in the wardrobe? Has Had to be. Had to be. She had to be living in it. She had to be living in it. Now, she did abscond about a month before we actually got access to the property. And the only reason that I got access to the property was there was a council lady out looking at another apartment there. And I said to her, you know, the flies, now the curtains were pulled in this apartment and there was no activity there for three or four weeks. And I said to her, you know, can we, can we check it out? I said, because this girl doesn't seem to be around. And the flies now were getting as big as blue bottles or bigger even, to be honest. And she said, have you got a key? And we said we had. And we went to the apartment. And when we opened the door, well, the stench out of it, it would knock you. This, like, you know, if, if, if it was a dying person inside or a dead person, it would be one thing. But a, a dead animal inside for three months, but it, you, you knew you know, the minute you opened the door that there was something wrong. Oh, God something Almighty, ra- we knew that there was something wrong. But not alone that, Patricia, about six weeks previous, there was a lot of bags of rubbish outside the apartment and which they're obliged to sign up with, with, with the local authority to get their, their rubbish removed, their bins and things, yeah, the recycling yeah. bin and the rubbish bin. Now... I, I, I mentioned that to her one day that I did meet her, and I said, you know, it's up to you to get rid of that. Or oh, she said, my dad has a skip ordered for the weekend, and that'll take care of that. Okay. I came the following week again, and all the rubbish was gone. Oh, great. And I said, well, you know, she's done a great job here. Until we got in with the council lady, she had the bedroom full to the ceiling with the, ba- the black bags of rubbish, not alone, <laughs> on one end of the, of the apartment, and the other end, a dead dog inside in the wardrobe in the plastic bag. So she had picked up the bags of rubbish that had been out in the garden and brought them all into the house. Into and the, brought into them all in and stacked them aside in the bedroom before she absconded. And then, obviously, you started to see the evidence of the desperate exactly. death that that poor Ex- dog had. And, and Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. And at this stage, she no. had left. At this stage, she's gone. Yes. Yeah. 
and no word of where she's gone to or not a thing in the world not a thing in the world no account or whatever but I do think I do think that the child is with with a boy, an ex boyfriend or something that's living in Dublin now or okay. something like that. Okay, all right. Okay, at least we know, you that, know? That, that, that. Hopefully, the child is okay. But yes. um, and what did the council then say to you? Have you any compensation back well, from the council? Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, the council tells me well, it's 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 that the agreement is between the tenant and and the landlord. Because it's a private agreement. It's a, yes. But even though that they're in HAP, yeah. even though that they're in HAP, that the council pays their rent and they pay maybe 20 quid a week or whatever they yeah, pay. Yeah, but isn't, isn't, that, isn't that one of the reasons that when somebody goes on the HAP scheme, the tenant has to go and find the property so that the council can say, this is a private agreement, OK, yes, we're helping but, to but, pay your rent. Yeah, but this, this, in this particular instance now, it's the council that finds the property. Oh, okay. It's a different it's scheme. The All right, that okay. Finds the okay. But you didn't contact you'd... the tenant. And did you get any? We're trying to get the council to compensate. They won't. They won't. They won't pay nothing. I did ask. I did ask. It cost eight thousand to put this back to put it on the market again for renting. And it had been it, it, newly it, refurbished when she moved in. Oh, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Brand spanking new. Everything. We had to throw out even the cooker, the washing machine. The, the fridge, the, like there was food left inside in the fridge, you couldn't open the door of it. So the best thing to do was to get a skip in and get just get rid of it and put them in new. Because it would be unfair to the new tenants moving in, you know, that that if there was any 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 issue at all with any of the appliances, you so the best yeah. thing to do was get rid of them and at least when things are new, that the new tenant would take care of it. We hope they will anyway. And your you know? story, I think, Seamus, really highlights why yeah. we're hearing so many private landlords leaving the market. If that's the carry-on yeah, of tenants. Exactly. And this, 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 this may happen here, yes, as well, because he can keep forking out. Now, a second apartment as well. There was another uh, tenant inside in a second apartment that, that, that left it as well. And the condition of that inside, and it holes in the walls, I mean, what do people be doing inside in these places, you know? Yeah. Driving their through, d- through plasterboard walls and things like, we have to come along and repair those and, and, and put them back. That cost 6000 to get this one, to get this one's um, apartment ready for renting again. Uh, but do like, tenants not come with reference from previous Nothing land? whatsoever. No. Unfortunately, we don't see any reference. But like the council do tell us, you know, well, this one is perfect. No, this one is all right. No, I, 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 you know, I, I, I sympathise with a few of them because I suppose they've, 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 they come from rough backgrounds or, or sleeping rough on the streets or wherever they bring them in from, you know. But there are also, but, but let's be honest, there's also really good tenants who do look oh, after properties. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't. You know, like people tell me, you know, travellers, you know. Excuse the word, but travellers, you know, and they'd say, oh, geez, don't get... Well, I can tell you that some of them are more and, 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 and probably cleaner than, 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 than people, settled people. Let's be quite truthful. All right, all right. But just, but, but uh, she's gone anyway. And would she, but surely she'd never be allowed into the HAP scheme again for the council. Her, well, I've, her I, cards yes, are I've marked. Of, yeah. Yes, I have, I have asked the council now to put a block on her. Put yeah, a block on that her. That she won't do the same thing the somewhere tenant. else. Like, and yeah, tr- these and people... Like they have to be stopped because yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, Patricia, 
it is we, the taxpayer, that pays their rent for them. But it's also not fair, Seamus, on, on really genuine people who are out there desperate to rent a property. There are there exactly. are people who need accommodation exactly. and, and or would look after the property and treat it as, as their own. So it's, exactly. yeah. And I'm just thinking yeah, of that poor, do- that poor dog. Yeah, yeah. That poor dog yeah. and the death the poor dog had. All right, yeah. Seamus, listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Yeah, thank you very okay. much. Good morning to you. Thank bye you. bye. 0818 uh, John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. My next guest is a 17 year old student who contacted us to outline what she hopes to do this summer, which isn't the norm for many 17 year olds. Alison Dooley is a student in Middleton College and she joins me this morning and in just a moment I'll also be joined by her mother Siobhan but Alison joins me. Good morning to you Alison. Good morning Patricia, how are you? I'm, I'm very well. Tell me about your plans. You, you're going to Ghana this summer. Yeah, tell me, tell me more. I am going to a town called Akapuam Hill so it's in Lark which is like one of the regions in Ghana. It's about three hours in a car from the capital of Accra so I'm going to volunteer under teaching childcare and community work. So I kind of go to a school, like one specific school, and I kind of be a teaching assistant and help the teachers in whatever they need me to do. So how how be, did you find out about this project? Um, well, most schools, to be fair to them, go in fourth year, but they typically go to Calcutta with the Hope Foundation. Yeah. Um, and obviously my fourth year was COVID, so I didn't experience any of this. And I feel like it's an important, like it's a life experience that people get to experience. And I really, I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. So I kind of took it into my own hands and decided to do it for myself. And you, I, I, is there anybody else locally going? No. So I'm going with the, an organisation called Projects Abroad. Yeah. It is an organisation made for people kind of typically my age. So there is loads of people going my age group but they're just they're from different countries so there'll be people from France and Spain and America So and and where will you stay? I mean that they'll put you up in accommodation I'm assuming Yeah so the wealthier families in the town that I'm going to they become host families so they kind of you just get sent to their house okay. and you stay in their guest room oh, I wonder how wealthy they mean by wealthy um, Alison well, they, like it's not going to be an extremely no. wealthy family, but no, no, no. In just in in there, based on yeah. based on what wealth is in uh, Ghana, and obviously there's a fundraising aspect. You need to cover the cost of, of the trip. Is there a set amount that you have to raise, or how is that done? Um, well, you have to raise a set amount that the organisation kind of tells you at the beginning, and that is the set amount that you have to raise. And then obviously everything else that I raise, I will also give to the organisation, and they will do what they do with that money. What do you know about Ghana? Um, I don't know a whole lot, I'm not <laughs> going to lie. Okay. When when the idea first came around and Ghana is kind of the destination that I'm going to, obviously I did my research on it. So the specific part of Ghana that I'm going to, they speak a language called KWI. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it. Okay. Um, but it's only native to Ghana, so under 1 million people in the whole wide world speak it. So I'm trying my best to learn a little bit of their language so that when I get there I have kind of a, a bearing of of how they, you know, speak. Well done, well done. And you, uh, you've you organised this, what is an incredible night because we've been, I've been talking about it on our, our community diary. You've got what you're calling a ladies' gala evening and it's on tomorrow night, isn't it? 
Yes. So it's going to be in my school. My school have actually been amazing. They've they've given so much to me. They're helping me in everything that they can do. So it's a ladies' gala evening, and it's going to be on tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in Middleton College. The main kind of event, I guess, from it is Eunice Power from the Today Show with Maura and Dahi. She's the, she usually does the cooking with them. She's going to do a cooking demonstration okay. um, on a stage in the sports hall of my school. And then there's going to be makeovers. So there's a hairdresser, Siobhan's Hair Salon in Middleton, and a beautician, Sinead's Beauty Room in the Mill Road in Middleton. And they're going to kind of do like three ladies kind of make, make them overdo their hair, their makeup. And then the boutique, Scarlet's Boutique, from the next to the granary in Middleton, they're going to give them clothes. So it's like a full transformation on the night. Brilliant, brilliant. It's, really, it's, it's, it's something very novel and, and very different, which is what you set out to do. Yeah, well, I didn't want it to be like, you know, because so many people go in fourth year, there is so many different fundraisers and different kind of coffee mornings and stuff that people do. And I wanted it to be a little bit different so that people aren't, you know, experiencing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and God knows us ladies can do with a nice evening out as well. <laughs> it's, it's, it's long overdue. I, I, did you, have you done your leaving cert or are you leaving cert next year? No, I'm leaving cert next year. You're leaving cert next year. Okay, just stay there and let me bring uh, Mammy in because your mother, Siobhan, <laughs> is on the other line. Uh, good morning, Siobhan. Good morning, Patricia, and thank you for having us. Well, you've got to be incredibly proud of this young lady. Yeah, um, you know, Patricia, there, there's been no little house in the prairie getting ready for this event now. We've, <laughs> we've had our moments, but sure, she, she's wonderful, you know, and it, there's a lot of organising went in to tomorrow night and it was Alison's decision to do one main event. Um, you know, we were going to do the coffee mornings and the, the cake sales and the and she said, No, ma'am, let's just do something because her event is, you know, this project abroad is new, she said, Let's do something different. So, um, if I could just say, Patricia, the people of Middleton have been incredible and I give it to Alison. I hate going in asking for spot prizes and so many businesses are drawn on. So she went around to 10 or 15 businesses. She told them what she was doing and she left them her number and said, if you would like to contribute or give me a spot prize, this is my number. No pressure. Thank you so much. And every single business came back to her. And I I think myself, okay, she's doing a wonderful thing. But the core of all this is encouraging a young girl, Mm. you know, who is really... I mean, it, Patricia, if you knew Alison when she was 12, she was so shy, So, and she still is quite shy. But what she needs to do, she can do. Yeah. You know? When, when you, when you, you set know? your mind on something, and that's exactly listening to Alison, she yes. she's, you know, has a focus, she knows what she wants to do, and, and she, she's, she's, she's going to get there and she's going to do it. But you have to have concerns, Siobhan. What, what oh, are your worries ab- about the trip? Absolutely. Um, um, I, I got a recommendation from another lady whose son went doing something similar years and years ago. And I did make a contact out there. Brilliant. And I will also be in contact with the host family. Great. And of course, we've got so much technology now and able to communicate. It's very different than waiting for a letter to have come through the post as you were right, Siobhan would have done when we were that age to write home. You know, it's all so different. uh, Unbelievable. I remember when my sister went to Australia, we waited and waited for the (laughs) postman to come. There will, you know, there there will be one, you know, they said a half an hour every day where there will be in internet service. So I will be able to see her and communicate with her, which is obviously very important to me. Obviously, as a mom, you would be very concerned. 
but I, I don't want to put my concerns on Alison. She knows that she has to mind herself, stay with her group, be safe. But this is an opportunity of a lifetime for her. And she has really grasped it so confidently and so enthusiastically. I want to encourage her as opposed to put my worries on her. Yeah, we've you know? gr- and, listen, we've know? great faith. I've great faith in the future when we have young people like Alison uh, in the world. I, I really do. And after yeah. school, uh, when you leave this time next year, Alison, please God, the leaving search will, will be behind you. Career wise, wh- what are you thinking of? Um, well, career-wise, I'm not like I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's kind of all up in the air. But I have been told by quite a few people that teaching would be a good route for me. Yeah, yeah, so, and this is a good tester for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, are tickets still available for tomorrow night? Yes, I have loads of tickets still available, and they will be available at the door. So if people just want to come, you can buy a ticket at the door. There's going to be somebody there selling tickets. You can also buy them from um, O'Farrell Butchers or you can buy them from the school in Middleton College. And when do you leave? The 31st of July. So a month after my fundraiser, I am leaving. And how long will you be away? I'm going for two weeks. Two so weeks. So I'll be back on 15th of July or August. And I imagine very hot in Ghana in August, is it? Yes. Okay. It's kind of into the 40s, I think. Oh, all right, Mammy, you'll have all the suntan okay. lotions packed in the fact the factor fifty and all that. And Alison, yeah, when you when you get back, would you, would would you contact us and come back on? I'd love to have a quick chat with you as to how it all goes. Yes, of course, I would love to. Wow, do that. that that would be great. Yeah. Uh, listen, a, yeah, go on, Siobhan. Can I just say that there is a beautiful man actually coming on board as well. Okay. He's called Spice Genie, and he's actually doing food at half time, complimentary for Alison for the evening, which and, is a huge thing for him to do. And to all the town of Middleton, please come out. Come to your gala, lady evening. It's going to be lovely. It's a community thing. And it isn't, it's like, it's not, it's not that we want to make women power or anything. We just want women to enjoy a night out because we've all been in for so that's long. It, that's COVID, it, that's it. And it's know? only when you go out yeah. to an event like that that you'll sit there and go, oh, we've so missed these events. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's going to be brilliant. Ladies, gala exactly. evening tomorrow night. Alison, the very best of luck with tomorrow night, but buckets of luck with the trip to uh, Ghana. Uh, and Siobhan, to you, uh, well done on, on letting your daughter go on this trip as well because that doesn't come easy. And Alison, we certainly will chat with you when you get back and, uh, and God bless on the trip Patricia a million thousand thanks for having us Uh, my pleasure God bless God bless bye bye Alison uh, Dooley along with her mammy Siobhan Dooley joining me on the line from uh, Middleton and that really does sound like a rather special night in Middleton College tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock but it is all a fundraiser so that Alison can go and help out uh, children who uh, really need help in Ghana. Well done to her. 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. I've got to take a break because we've got to head to the newsroom for news at 11. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork today on replay.
Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your commentary coming into the programme. The Better Life Cycle was on at the weekend and I was thinking this is the annual cycle that's done uh, for St. Joseph's Foundation in uh, Charleville and I was thinking of the cyclists like last weekend. The weather was, wasn't the kindest to be out on the highways and byways. Anyway, Catherine has been on to me this morning uh, to say, Patricia, would you just give a big shout out to all of the Better Life Cycle crew from the cycles to the sponsors to the volunteers to the families and the friends and to everybody who who helped out. It was an astonishing achievement yet again this year with all proceeds going to the amazing place which is St. Joseph's uh, Foundation. Now let me know when you get a total for how much you were raised. They always raise a terrific sum of money from this cycle every year. This year 69 hardy souls took to the roads last Saturday and we had awful weather on Friday. They were actually thinking uh, seemingly Betty, one of the committee members nearly called it off on Saturday but they decided look let's run with it and see how we get on and they were lucky on Saturday morning in Clonakilty that they did start the cycle with lovely uh, blue skies and there was no holding back the unbelievable cyclists Catherine tells me in her uh, text they headed out on the Carberry Challenge in their groups and wow did they do it in style each group pushed each other over the line and by three o'clock they were all home safe and sound she said the joy they had of completing 123 kilometres of hills and headwinds to complete the 2022 Better Life Carberry Challenge in aid of St Joseph's Foundation so a big thank you once again to all the sponsors their family and friends and everyone who's donated so generously to the cause Catherine says as uh, personally as a volunteer she said it was very touching to see this wonderful dedicated group of 100% volunteers organise this event year after year well done and Catherine is obviously a glutton for punishment because she's saying roll on 2023 well done Catherine and uh, thank you for filling us in on that and then someone else was out yesterday and they found something let's see if we can get this back to its rightful owner oh it was Michael says he was out walking uh, last night um, along the river walk in Mallow when he spotted earbuds on the ground. Now they'd obviously fallen out of somebody's bag I'm assuming because they were actually in the case. They said they've been recently purchased so they're new earbuds in the case and some of those earbuds can be quite expensive. We have all of Michael's contact details. If you or you know of somebody who lost um, a set of earbuds yesterday somewhere along the River Walk, can you get in contact with John Paul and we can put you in contact with uh, Michael 0818 103 103. Also coming in to us by WhatsApp. Uh, and uh, I'll send on the information here to this uh, listener who says, Hi Patricia, my husband and I are travelling to London next week. Hope you have a great uh, trip. What COVID vaccine status is required for entry to, to England, please? Uh, any help uh, would be appreciated. Well, at the moment for, for, for England, you don't need to complete any passenger location forms. You don't need to take any COVID tests. At one stage, people were required to take COVID tests. You don't need to quarantine when you arrive and it, it applies whether you're vaccinated or not. Most countries, in fairness, as we've headed into the summer of uh, 2022, have removed all of the rules and regulations around COVID. I just always suggest to people before you travel somewhere to just check in with the country. But that's the current status for the UK. Yeah, you don't need to do anything. You can just turn up at the airport and hopefully you'll be going through Cork Airport where you will have wonderful... You won't have any problems with getting through security, get on the plane and you'll arrive on time and all of that and your bags will arrive with you. There's just so many things to worry about now when it comes to travel and 
the least of them now is all of the covert requirements but it's just because of everything that's going on at our airports and of course it's not just Irish airports it's happening at airports all over the world but I hope you have a wonderful uh, trip and thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Heidi was listening to Seamus talking about when tenants go wrong and what happened in his particular case and Heidi said listen with great interest uh, to Seamus uh, talking to how you can just get some bad tenants and when tenants go bad they really are uh, awful Um, I have texted you in before uh, to say how some people do behave in rented accommodation and yes as you mentioned it is the reason why some landlords are simply throwing in the towel it's no joke when tenants wreck your property uh, thank God for the tenants that do respect their property and do look after them and let's never forget that there are some fantastic tenants who appreciate the fact that they're in private rented accommodation and they look after it as if they own the property it's the same we have some really good landlords who really look after their tenants and if something goes wrong in the property they're in there immediately to sort it out but unfortunately it's always the rogue landlords and the rogue tenants that have a tendency to ruin it for so many but we are we certainly are having a problem with private landlords deciding to leave the market and it's one of the reasons that there are so few properties uh, available for uh, rent uh, and it, and we've got the knock-on problem then with our housing crisis. Now, we've been discussing teenagers and teenagers heading out to work. Hi, Patricia, re teenagers and summer work. I've had a few over the last few years doing some odd jobs for me, but I decided to let it off this year. They appear to have no urgency when doing the jobs. Attention to detail isn't great. They just seem to be mad for breaks. They might not arrive until 10 or 11 and they we're meant to do, we're due in at nine. You always get the impression they're only doing it as their parents are forcing them to do it and they really have no real interest in taking on part-time work during the summer. Faster, cheaper and less frustrating, I found, uh, to do it myself. And then we had another, this is a business owner who's contacted us, Brian to say, like Seamus was talking about, you get good talents and bad uh, talents. It's the very same when it comes to employing young people. Brian says, I own a medium size shop. Always offer jobs to, to teenagers and many over the years have worked right throughout their school years and they're actually with me, right? They come back, you know, during their college time, they'll come back and work during, during the summer and it's all been very successful. However, says Brian, he's noticed in the last three years, many of the young people that are coming through are not willing to take up the job. And those the two, the ones that Brian does employ, they're all looking for extra breaks. Whatever about the breaks, when they are at work, there seems to be no urgency with doing the task at hand. And once their hours are up, that's it. They're out the door, full stop. There's no such thing as working on for an extra few minutes to finish off a job. Now, Brian says that that was never the case 10 years ago. He says, I think workplaces are going to have a problem in years to come with this young cohort of people as they head out into the big bad world of uh, work. We can already see it in some areas of customer service. That's interesting, isn't it? But then when you look at somebody like young Alison, who we spoke with, the young 17-year-old from uh, Middleton and her get-up-and-go attitude and everything that she's doing. Again, everyone with the one brush, as we've been talking about, there are good tenants and bad tenants, good landlords and bad landlords you're going to have young people some very motivated to get out there uh, to work 
But then you'll have other young people who are just, for whatever reason, not as motivated as their peers. Imelda said, I ran a business, but what I've noticed about younger people, not, not all, but some, are sick days. If they are feeling even tired, they'll ring in sick. Compared to 10 or 20 years ago, hardly anybody ever rang in uh, sick. It seems to be a new issue now, whether they're sick or not, uh, they will ring in uh, sick. And that's a new phenomenon, uh, Imelda reckons, that wasn't there before. 0818103103. And then John was on about the DAA and the Army on standby to take on security duties at Dublin Airport. John says, is this not a sad reflection on the Dublin Airport Authority when the Army has to be put on uh, standby? Both the Army and those that they are trying to help, those workers at Dublin Airport are on low pay and both are, one are being brought in to cover the other. This is the story of... and. Uh, we welcome others, how others feel about this announcement that was made yesterday. Members of the Defence Forces, they're to begin training so that they can stand in for security personnel. Now, what Dublin Airport seem to be particularly worried about is a COVID-19 surge. They feel they have enough workers, but if they get an outbreak and then it spreads amongst a cohort of their workers and we, they have a group of people out, say, for, for a week, they're just fearful that they may have a, a problem. They say the risk of a case surge among the staff prompted the DAA to request the government to put in place contingency plans that would allow for the short term. Now, everyone seems to be emphasising this short term deployment of the Defence Forces to, to assist with operations at Dublin Airport should and only if it's required. Now, the government has supported a request. It's come obviously from the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, for members of the army to now begin training, which will allow them then to assist the DAA with aviation security duties at Dublin Airport. The DAA has advised that its current operational plan, which has been in place since the beginning of June, they say it's working effectively and people are making their way through the airport uh, safely and they are making their flights. However, given the impact of this new wave that we have at the moment of COVID-19, they're afraid the impact that could have on their staff. And because of that, they decided, look, let's have a contingency plan in place and let the army be ready if we need to uh, deploy them. Eamon Ryan emphasising again, it's only a contingency measure and it's only if it's absolutely necessary that the army will be deployed. He expects that the DAA will continue to manage through the summer and won't need to call the army in. Now, obviously, the call came from the Minister for Transport but then of course it had to be taken up by the Defence Minister which is Simon Coveney he said yesterday he agreed to the request but he again is saying it's on the a clear assurance that it's a distinct piece of work provided in extreme circumstances and it is a short term emergency related contingency action members of the Defence Forces will now undergo immediate period of training and then they'll be ready to assist if and when the need arrives. However, the support, according to Minister Simon Coveney, will be stood down in August when the busy holiday period is passed and that's what the DAA says as well. They just want them on standby really throughout the month of July and into uh, August. The DAA have given assurance 
that they will continue with their own recruitment and onboarding of additional security uh, staff and they say everything is going uh, according to plan. But of course this all got announced yesterday but there was no consultation with the the boots on the ground with the army themselves, with the members of the defence forces and almost immediately the representative association of the commissioned officers came out. They're raising concerns over what compensation their members will receive if and when they have to do any of this airport work. They say we need clarity on the type of roles our members will be expected to perform, what their working conditions will be, what compensation they'll be receiving for this additional work. They say we must not ignore the recognition of the commission of the Defence Forces to end the free labour aspect of military service, which they say would be a further blow to morale in the organisation and by all accounts morale in the army isn't at the highest at the moment. So the representative association of the commissioned officers, they are concerned over the compensation the army personnel will receive for the work. Eamon Ryan said that that was a matter for the Minister for Defence. He's batted that back to Simon Coveney. But Eamon Ryan did say that the DAA will reimburse the exchequer in the event that the defence forces are drafted in because there is that uh, worry that would we be, would we be using the army as free labour for the Dublin Airport Authority instead of the Dublin Airport Authority getting their own workers and paying their own workers. But according to Minister Eamon Ryan, the DAA will have to pay back the exchequer any wages that the army gets. Now there's no talk of what additional, if there would be any additional work additional pay for the army or any kind of compensation for the army because they look at the airport which is outside of the work that they normally do 0818 103 103 would you agree with John that it's a sad reflection on the DAA that they even have to put the army on uh, standby and the fact that both people in the army and people who work at the airport in the security many of them are on contracts I think of just 30 hours and the pay isn't great that it just seems to be one group of low paid workers covering another group of low paid workers your thoughts are welcomed you can text on whatsapp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Full time and weekend production operators are wanted. That's for Alps in Mill Street. Application forms are available from info at alps.ie. A breakfast chef is wanted to work at the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. No experience is essential. The phone number is 022-58200. Site operators are wanted with welding ability. Call 085-757-9859. And a warehouse operative slash stock controller is wanted to work in Mallow CVs, please, to carry.murphy at osborne.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Recent data from the Banking and Payments Federation shows the number of contactless payments rose by 53% compared to last year, with 2.5 million contactless payments done in just the first quarter 
quarter of this year. But the Consumer Association have warned that many people still rely on cash every day. And Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association joins me. Good morning to you, Dermot. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Oh, is, is there a feeling that the, that the financial institutions, the banks in particular, want us all to move to a cashless society? Yes, they do, but as as much as business do, because I, I mean it's not new. Um, the idea was put forward quite some time ago that look, cash is is costly. It's costly to produce. Um, it's costly to deliver because the safety issue of it costs a lot of money in security, um, and and it potentially, which is where it really grabbed, if you like, a change potential. It potentially could carry a health risk in in, in, the, in, a, in a very minor way now, in all honesty, more with coin than with notes. But with that in mind, when it came to COVID, the, a, a change took over, which was understandable at the time. Two things happened. One, the €30 Euro tap level increased to 50 um, And this was done to facilitate what was a movement at the time to say, look, where possible at all, Please only pay in cash so that people don't have to handle hand, have to handle it in this unique situation. And it did take off, and it's understandable. And that's why the figures that are there that have been issued that plus fifty three percent it makes sense. And it makes sense in a number of ways because in one day, if you ask a consumer how many times did you tap to purchase something, they'll say. I don't know, eight, ten, um, and if, if they're if they're buying a paper or a coffee or a lunch or if it's anything under fifty euro, a lot of them are just using a tap, particularly a younger cohort, which makes perfect sense and it works well for everybody and it saves potentially it saves money and it's less risk, but it is it still is a business decision. There's been no consultation on it, and a lot of people. Find, are finding themselves in a situation whereby they can't use the cash that either they were given some time ago, that they've saved while they weren't working or while they were at home um, through COVID, or that purely and simply that it's the only form of income that they have, even down to including begging on the streets, in all honesty. Um, and the move rapidly away from cash is, is, a, is a concern to a lot. It also... Because do you, do you believe there yeah. will there will always be people who will solely rely on cash? There will. There's yeah. no way about it. Some people are still paid only in cash. Um, many people, um, as I say, younger people. I, I know there's a move again. You used to give them cards, but younger people who can't have a bank account rely on cash. You still will go into a lot of public transport vehicles who will insist upon payment in cash. So it's it's a very mixed up situation, um, and unfortunately, it's being let go on, Patricia, without anybody really commenting on it or saying, well, look, let's go out there and have a discussion with this with the public, because there has been no consultation mm, with the public mm. on it. Yeah, and, and, and it is also, and we certainly would see it here with listeners contacting us, it's becoming hard for some people who don't have a bank card, who don't have a debit card, who don't have a credit card, because even government business they want you to do everything online and they want you to access everything and pay for everything with a debit card. But not everybody yeah. has a debit card. No, they don't. And you're entirely right. And and the point, every time that's brought up, the, the point is made, well, you, you, you can access a, a, a free banking situation and a free card that goes with it. Um, but that's not the point. 
again, it takes away a choice that's saying, well, I don't want to use a card. I actually have cash. It's the way I live, it's the way I work, and it's what I want to use. And you're, to all intents and purposes, being denied the ability to do that. And, and then you have to go to a third party to help you make the payment. And you give them cash, and they go, well, I don't want the cash, I can't use it. So it's, mm. it's, it's, it's a ridiculous situation. Yeah, and we, I, I, I would just add, if, if I might, when we started this, um, I, I was contacted by a number of people, which an area that surprised me, and I showed my ignorance to it, there are a great number of people who suffer a very significant challenge in coping with any type or form of a card in public. It's a health and a well-being issue for them, and they can't do it. Um, and it needs to be considered. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't come across that before. Why? Neither had I. Um, and it appears that a, a great number of people who have uh, health problems, um, they're, they're affected by, they're, they have a loss of focus when they're faced with a machine well, and a card well. situation, which I was unaware of. So it's another reason that we need to... Yeah, and, and we've, had count, we've had countless people point out as well, you know, it, when people have been forced to open up bank accounts because you have to have a debit card, you have to have a credit card, that all comes with a cost. Whereas if you're solely dealing with cash, you don't have those additional costs. Absolutely, it does. And again, the the the, the two point five million people who are who are tapping away there, there it's it's a currently a unique situation whereby in most cases, and let's keep in mind we're reducing rapidly in the number of banks providing services. But if, apart from the Revoluts and the other ones, the main banks they are not necessarily introducing a charge just yet. But ultimately, a bank charge will come for you tapping or there will be a charge for a number of taps in a month. And when that starts to hit, then then I suppose some reason will start to, to come into the into the conversation of, well, can we discuss this? Uh, because in all honesty, it, it just it's very much like the old issue of the credit note. This was never a decision of the old days where it was a business decision. We'll issue you with a credit note and to have three or six months of a life. And that took years to turn around. Yeah, if yeah, we don't is. tackle this now, the, the situation in relation to cash will exclude a lot of people. And to, I hate to use the word, but it kind of will discriminate them against them in a number of ways and where I can't go in there and use money. Yeah, and that's not fair. Anne says, Patricia, bank charges for people, particularly under the age of 65, are astronomical. The banks are fleecing us. Uh, and then uh, another listener says, ATM and card machines don't always work all of the time. I always take cash with me. There was one day I didn't happen to have any cash with me and all of the machines were down in the area where I was. And I mentioned this earlier when I knew you were going to be joining me on the programme. I saw in Glastonbury over the weekend, which is what was a, is a 900, fee, 900 acre field of uh, people, everybody tapping at the bar. And for some reason, all the machines went down and there was an announcement made that if you wanted to purchase a drink or food, you had to have cash. But you know, there was very few people had cash with them. And it just, uh, it's, it, it just struck me as an example of this wonderful notion of a cashless society. But what happens when technology doesn't work? Exactly. And technology does not always work and it's never going to. And with, with technology comes an enormous risk of fraud and the potential for fraud and phishing and everything else that we know about. And there's no consideration of, a, of, a, of an honest medium in the middle, which basically comes back to the one priority that consumers, the paying customer, should have choice in the way they pay. It's that simple. If you want to sell your, your, your product, allow it to be paid for in a, in a practical 
practical way and cash to, to my mind still is practical um, in, in many many parts around the world I don't understand necessarily the total focus on trying to go cashless doesn't doesn't necessarily make sense and just to add I was in the UK last week and I, myself and my wife, and we struggled, and we, we used it as an opportunity. We struggled to find anywhere that would accept cash in most cases. Predominantly smaller um, food outlets, restaurants, bars, any element like that. And we were in one retail outlet, and they explained that they were having complaints from, from customers as well because they had now a policy where they were reduced to one pill only in their very, very large stores that would accept cash. Everything else was card. And the businesses in the UK that weren't accepting cash, do they clearly have signs up? No, that was the issue. None. At least we do have them here. There was nothing on display at all. And the one that really frustrated me and annoyed me is when I said to a person, um, can I pay in cash? He said, well, you can, but we can't give you any change. <laughs> That'll turn you off paying in cash because my, Michael, one of our listeners, says he was in Dublin recently, uh, queued up to get a cup of coffee and a scone. It was early in the morning and he did orders, got, and when he went to pay in cash, they, the girl there looked at him blankly and says, we don't take cash, it's, it's card only. And he said he had to walk out, leave the coffee and the scone behind him. Yeah, and that's not funny. Um, and that's embarrassing. And again, it's a form of discrimination, but whether it's acknowledged or accepted as that or not, because it has to be. There's no, there's, there's nothing illegal about saying we only want to be paid in, in, paid by card. But you have to signpost it and you have to tell the person in advance so that they're not standing there with, 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 with cash in hand going, oh, dear Lord, I'm so embarrassed, I have to leave. And that's wrong. But a business can refuse cash. They can. Yeah. They can, absolutely. That's why, as you pointed out quite well, the state um, moved towards, they don't they don't accept cash in quite a number of yeah. situations you need to pay online. For your, for your driving licence, I know, is, yeah. is, one of, is one of the ones, yeah. Yeah, all right, that's, that's unf- but you're right, the conversation has to be had and people have to be heard. Yeah, they do. And I know there are, there are many sides to this and that's fine, but this is a particularly important sign. It does affect people. It needs to be discussed. Mm. It really does. And, and I'm also just immediately reminded of uh, Eugene O'Sullivan. He's a gentleman who is originally from Bantry. He actually lives in the Ukraine and we've been uh, talking with uh, Eugene since the situation broke out in Ukraine. And he was saying uh, cash is king. He just said all of a sudden when the war started, like the bank machines stopped working. And he said, and he said, you know, and he was, we had this very same, it was kind of a weird conversation uh, talking about somebody who's living in a a war situation. But he said, it just proves that cash is king when something like that happens in a country. Suddenly machines aren't working. And if you need to purchase items, you have to have uh, cash. And I know that's a a completely different story, but it's, but yeah, the conversation certainly needs uh, to happen. Listen, Dermot, it's always fantastic to have you on. And while we have you on, what did you make of the European Commission's figures um, showing we're 40% above the European average for goods and services. Not that anybody needed to, needed to be told uh, we're, we're expensive here, but a lot of our listeners were shocked that we're 40% higher. Oh, it's extraordinary. And um, it, 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 it's, it's another conversation that we need to have. We've been having it for years, but there's a lack of transparency. Everybody's being told, if you want to call it, are conditions that prices are going to have to go up. And they're accepting them as going up at a rapid rate, but with no explanation of clear transparency as to why or what exactly is making up the increase. It's just an amount of an increase, another amount of an increase. It's like, for example, food. There has, for years, there's been an attempt to try to get 
clarity and transparency about if I buy, let's say, a bag of potatoes, what does it cost from the moment they're seeded and to the moment they come to me? How, who takes what profit and where does it go? And um, that has never happened. But finally, last year, at the end of last year, and it should start around this year, we will soon have an, an ombudsman for food, which will give some credence and some opportunity to say, if you're going to sell food, you have to explain what the profit margin is because you get the distinct impression, and it's very clear in hotels and, and car hire, for example, and other areas like that, that price gouging is going on. But trying to find a way of taxing it seems to be completely outside of the realms of consideration. Do we need a Minister for Consumer Affairs? Well, we have a Minister for Consumer Affairs to all intents and purposes, um, and that's, um, that's the target. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's business and consumer affairs are, are in, in the one ministry. And I'm not going to say they don't, they don't meet, but um, there, there needs to be a, 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 a boost, I think, which is coming down the line in terms of new consumer to consumer bill. But, they, you know, it's got to be watched and it's got to be measured in the way that consumers are impacted. And they, we've just talked about two issues there now in, in the last 10 minutes that are very big on the agenda. And I'm not saying they're not getting attention, but not getting the attention they deserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all just sitting, wringing our hands, going, oh, yeah. we just, we have to pay higher prices. And of course, our VAT rate, we're the fourth highest rate in the EU at 23%. Absolutely, and that's been the situation for quite a while, which is why every time there was a call for something, some release or some easing in, in the cost at the fuel pumps, for example, never mind anything else, it focused on VAT, can you reduce it? Um, and, you know, we, we're very high on taxation in a number of ways, um, and, and it's, it's, it affects us a lot. It particularly affects us because we're on an island. Everything has to be delivered to us. Um, well, most things because we can't grow enough for ourselves. We import a lot. It's now, particularly if we're importing from our nearest neighbour, it attracts a lot more tax duty, um, state revenue. Um, and, and, and it's impacting on the home. Um, again, it's, it's not new, but it, it, it's relatively new that two, two sentences or two descriptions that have come into our into our mindset now and our vocabulary. One is... is um, the working poor, and the other one is is the reality that um, we have a huge amount of people that simply do not know um, what they're paying for. Um, are they going to pay to heat or to eat? Yeah, yeah, sad reflection on society at the moment. Listen, um, Dermot, we leave it there. A pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thanks very much. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. I can see lots of people co- commenting and saying they agree 100% with Dermot, including Joan and McCroom. I agree with Dermot. I have a debit card. But I also like to have cash. But my big bugbear, says Joni McCroom, is having to do everything online and you've got to pay for everything online. Now, there are less and less companies where you can physically walk in and speak to somebody. Uh, some of these new, uh, some companies today don't even have buildings. Everything is operated on a line. God be with the day when you could go in. Customer service and somebody to deal with. 0818 103 103. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And don't forget it is Wednesday, so Peter Dowdle will be joining us in the next hour. If you have a gardening question, John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 
0818 Now, a special ceremony was held at the weekend by Union Hall RNLI members. It was for the official naming of their Atlantic 85 class lifeboat, the Christine and Raymond Fielding. Operations Manager John Kelleher joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. You're, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, you. can you start by outlining who this couple were? They were Dr. Raymond Fielding and his wife, Christine. Uh, yeah, as uh, Dr. Raymond Fielding, a doctor working in uh, Cork, um, and his wife, uh, she had died a couple of years before I um, met him. Uh, he actually created money to the um, lifeboat uh, and wanted to have a lifeboat based in. County Cork, uh, bearing his wife's name. So um, we we were approached uh, with this idea, and the RNLI. Uh, he eventually decided he wanted to bequeath the money to a lifeboat station in Union Hall. So so we got to know him. And they are obviously both Raymond and Christine were very keen sailors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well involved with the uh, yacht club in Cork. Um, and a lot of sailing around West Cork. We're very familiar to the locality here, Glendore Harbour and other harbours around West Cork. And initially, Dr. Fielding wanted the boat to be named after his wife, Christine, but sadly he passed away before it was put into service, so therefore the boat is named after both of them now. Yeah, that, that's, that's correct, yeah. Um, uh, we befriended him uh, that time that he was uh, putting the money up for the lifeboat here in Newton Hall. Um, Nice man. Uh, unfortunately, he did pass away, and uh, they both been bared his name as well. Oh, that's quite nice. Uh, that, that, there's, there's something very sweet about that. And I know yeah. I was reading Podrick uh, Hoare's piece in the Examiner uh, during the week. It, it, that isn't the only rescue boat that they funded. Uh, no, I believe. Yeah, I was reading that. Yeah, that he's he's actually donated some uh, money to boats involved with the yacht club. So how does this boat differ from other lifeboats? Well, this is actually the third generation Atlantic 85 that the RNLI have. Um, It's uh, 8.5 metres, which its predecessor was um, 7.5, the Atlantic 85 that we had. Um, It can carry an extra crew. It has um, better sea-keeping keeping uh, capabilities in, in rough weather. It has uh, nighttime capabilities with the addition of a radar, radar direction finding and um, integrated navigation systems. Make a big difference to the work that you do? Oh yeah, ma- massive, yeah. yeah. Especially, I mean, a lot of our shouts could be at night time or in uh, poor visibility. So it, it keeps the crew a lot safer and get out there. And it's this, and the lifeboat is extra special in that I believe it's the first to be built especially for service at Union Hall. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we, we, we the station started in um, twenty fourteen um, with a relief lifeboat on the Arnalloy relief fleet, and then we had a second lifeboat um, from the relief fleet. But because this was bequeathed and Pete requested us to put it in Union Hall. 
brilliant. It really is brilliant. And I know it went into operation last summer, but you held back on the naming ceremony until last weekend. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, board started building in 2019 um, and COVID held up the building of the board, first of all, in Cowes and the Isle of Wight. And then the pandemic continued here, which um, stopped us really from having a celebration with the community mm. and it is it is important and, and to the memory of the fieldings that you had a celebration so did you have a lovely weekend last weekend uh, yeah well unfortunately I, I couldn't make it oh, but, um, <laughs> yeah yeah um, even though the weather was bad everybody you know it didn't dampen anybody's spirits because of the okay it was still a special the, moment celebration of it and uh, have, you, have you been having a busy year so far John um, no, it's been quite this year. I think we've done we're on um, our fifth show this year. Okay. Um, one of our biggest years was probably fourteen shows. So um, it's, it's quieter, which is probably a positive thing. Mm. You know, people are um, adhering to the safety. Let's hope it remains the same during the summer because obviously the summer is a, b- a busy time for people to be out yeah. uh, at sea. But good to know that, you know, this fine boat now in operation out of Union Hall, it keeps both you, the volunteers, safe, which is so, so important. But it will go on ultimately to uh, save lives. So uh, congratulations to everybody involved in Union Hall, RNLI, and in, in particular, our thanks and our memories with Dr. Raymond Fielding and his wife, Christine. Listen, John, thank you for that. A pleasure to talk to you on the programme this morning. Thank thanks. you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Good morning. That is uh, John Kelleher, Operations Manager with the Union Hall RNLI. Earlier on the programme, I spoke with young Alison Dooley, who's heading out to volunteer and work in a school with underprivileged children in Ghana. And she mentioned that she was having this wonderful ladies gala evening to fundraise for the project that she's going to work on in in Ghana. And that it's on tomorrow night in the Middleton College, the school that she uh, attends. And it's a ladies gala evening. Somebody has been on to say, Patricia, where can I get tickets for Alison's ladies night in Middleton uh, tomorrow night? Well, Alison mentioned there will be tickets available at the door tomorrow night. It starts at seven o'clock. But in advance of that, they're available at O'Farrell's Meets on Main Street in Middleton. Or if you call into Middleton College office, they're available there as well. But there will be plenty of tickets available at the door tomorrow night, seven o'clock in Middleton College. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Texts and WhatsApps are open at 0862 103 103. In particular, looking for your questions for Peter Dowdle, who joins us after news at 12. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Because this came in on Monday. Somebody contacted us to say they were trying to, driving through Mallow and they were trying to drive down through Ballydeheen and the road was closed and they were saying that they didn't see any notice about the road closure and how long is the road closure going on for. So we got on to Cork County Council who tell us that yes, the road closure kicked in from 7am last Monday morning and it remains in place for right throughout the month of July and right throughout the month of August. It's expected to end 
on Sunday evening of the 28th of August. So just in time for the children to go back to school and it's a 24-hour closure. So the all of Ballydehean, you can't simply drive down at Ballydehean. Anyone who knows Mallow will know exactly where I'm talking about. And somebody else was saying that they were surprised to see the road closure and was it advertised and was it advertised here on the radio? And I checked with John Paul and we, he went through all of his communication. He said, no, didn't get any word in the advance notice saying that Ballydehean was going to be closed from last Monday. So we asked the council that, did they advertise it? And they say that the first ad- advert, which was a notice of intention, was published in the Corkman newspaper on Thursday, the 10th of March. And it was followed by submissions to be made by the second ad, which was the actual closure notice. And the actual closure notice was published on the 24th of March. So uh, I just, I think, you, so you expected to see it on the 24th of uh, March and then you were to remember that on the 27th of June, Ballydehean, the road was going to be closed. Anyway, it's closed two months and it's a 24-hour road closure. Now, an awful lot of commentary coming in following my chat with Dermot Jewell um, are we heading towards a cashless society and how a cashless society doesn't suit everyone and will there always be a need for uh, cash? Uh, somebody says by text, Patricia, hi, if you don't have money in the bank, I guess then a debit card will be ruled out for me because I don't have any money in the bank. Yeah, I think you're ruled out. Mary says, Patricia, I love looking at cash in my wallet. I definitely think cash is uh, king. Jim says, Patricia, I heard this story only last night of five strangers. Uh, walking into a rural bar on the way to a house party and they ordered five pints. And when they went to pay by card, the barman said, sorry, we don't have card machine here in this pub. So they said, sorry about that. And the five, it's so strange that should be five friends, I'm assuming. So they went to leave and the barman said, she might as well drink the pints. I've got them filled and they'll only go to waste. And she you might come back sometime and pay me for the pints. And if you don't, there's not a lot I can do about it. Anyway, another friend happened to join them in the bar and he had a 50 euro note and he paid for the pints. Uh, so the barman said it was worth taking a chance on them, says Jim. Thanks for that. And then a listener says, listening to Dermot Jules saying he was in London and he had the problems. He himself and his wife did it as a bit of a test. They went into a number of places and they had problems. They had cash with them. They had problems finding businesses that would take cash. Somebody says that didn't, they had a different experience. Someone says, we were in London and the home counties last week and we paid in cash all over the place. We didn't have any problems. So I don't know what part of London Dermot was in, uh, but he certainly said himself and his wife had problems. Una joins me on the comment line from Killarney. Good morning or good afternoon to you, Una. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, no, you, 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 you've noticed ATM machines are being removed. Yes. Yes, in Killarney now, there is only one area to access an AIB ATM. And there had been how many? Three. And they've removed them? Yep. And you reckon that that's the way it's going? Well, I was saying to um, JP this morning that I watch an English programme on three Virgin 3, that's called Loose Women. And I usually record it and I'd watch it at night if it was not on. And a couple of weeks ago, they, the panel were having a discussion about cash and card and, do you know, the ins and outs of both. Yeah. And one of the women on the panel said she's 60 years of age and her mother, who was in her 80s, wanted to get cash in the bank. 
And they tried it all through online for the cash to be sent out and all that. But they were told they had to physically go to the bank. So they went to the bank, they queued, they got to a teller to be told that 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 particular bank does not carry cash. They had no cash. It's a cashless bank. It's a cashless (laughs) bank. (laughs) But the, the, the daughter said, but my mother wants cash and her money is here. And they said, tough. We don't have cash. We're a cashless bank and that's the way things are going. So then the people who obviously run the show decided to do more research and they discovered, I I can't remember, was it 26 or 27,000 ATMs had been closed in England last year. They want to go cashless. They basically want everybody just to use their cards. Yes. And they then done research on numerous banks, <coughs> excuse me, to be told, yeah, cash is going. There will be no cash in the future. But what happens when technology leaves us down? And suddenly, I don't know. Yeah. And for a, for a town like Killarney, right, they have two ATM cards outside the bank and they are machines and they have machines inside the bank. But the amount of people that come through this town like, if I was with whatever bank I'm with, that's the machine I want to go to. Because you'd be charged extra to withdraw from a machine. It's not even that. I just feel it's safer for me. Okay. You know, it And do you prefer to deal in cash than just tap and go? I like to get, to collect money on a Friday from the bank or wherever and deal with money during the week. The reason being... I find for me, and I don't know about anyone else, if I'm giving out 50 euros for something, I kind of think, is it worth that? Is it whatever? Whereas if I do it online, I'm not spending any money in my head. <laughs> no, I know. I know. And, and the danger with doing everything tap and go is there is the risk of overspending. When you physically you have the cash in your hand, if the cash isn't in your pocket or it's all gone, you can't spend anymore. But when you're just putting a card and tapping or putting, you know, yeah, swiping it, yeah, there you there is there is the the danger of overspending for sure. Well, I find for myself, if I'm going to do a grocery shop, I have to have cash because otherwise, oh, I might get that and I might get this and I'd get that and I have the money in the bank and that, and it's 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 like a free for all. I just feel with the card, I'm not spending money. Yeah, and I can see, and that's the point Dermot Jewell from the Consumer Association is making. There will always be people who want to only deal in cash for the very reasons that you're saying they feel they've control over their money. And I can see a number of listeners are making the same point. They feel that the bank seems to control their money when they don't physically have it in their hand. But if what you're saying is happening in the UK we have a tendency to kind of catch up on a lot of things. Yes. You, know, they, yes. you know, we'll follow suit. And you can already see it starting here because we do have businesses at the moment. We had one of our listeners was up in Dublin trying to get a cup of coffee and a scone, got to the counter and the humiliation. They, he only had cash and they, they didn't accept cash and he had to walk away, leave the coffee and the scone behind, which is a complete waste, can I say, on behalf of, of the business. And unfortunately, there was no one behind to say, look, I'll pay for it because it wouldn't have cost that much. But... But if we're going to have more businesses doing that, only saying it's card only. Yes. They lose yes. business yes. because of it. And, well, and I don't think they will, Patricia, because I find 
now, since we kind of got out of lockdowns and we're out and about, when you go to pay with a car or when you go to pay with cash, they're kind of looking at you as much as to say, oh, yeah, you are old. Oh, they are. That like, I'd be raging if somebody did that to me. <laughs> but I've, I've kind of noticed that now in one or two places. Yeah. That it's like, um, have you cared? Yeah. And you're kind of saying, well, I have cash. Yeah. And they're looking as much to say, oh, yeah, um, dinosaur days. Uh-huh. Do you know? Yeah. And then someone else is pointing out as a grandmother, she likes to have cash to give to her grandchildren when they call to see her. If we end up in a cashless society, ch- the little children will miss out and then they miss out on how to actually spend money, which is a good point. That's how we all learned when when Nana yeah. or granddad would would, would, yeah. give, would give you the view, Bob. All right. But we do seem to be more and more heading to And it looks like. The banks certainly are encouraging it, but even the government seems to be encouraging it. Even you know, as I cited yep, the example okay. of your, if you want to get your your driving license, yes. it's, all, it's all online. You know, when you, it uh, is all online. Taxing your car, they want they want us to do everything online, all done by the swipe of a card. Yeah, oh. and and looking at that English thing, that the the banks that they went to, and like it was above board, it was an actual program above board. They were told of numerous banks, yes, we want cashless society. Mm. And we're following suit. We are. Two two cash machines taken out of a town where there was three. Yeah, that's that's the start of it. That certainly is the uh, start of it. Okay, well, us dinosaurs will plod on with our with our few we bob will. in our pocket. Una, listen, thank you for that. Enjoyed our chat. Um, uh, good, good afternoon to you. And somebody says, Patricia, you're still a Colleen with your cash. Thank you. Thank you. I will accept that. Okay. Uh, hi, Patricia. In relation to your discussion with Dermot Jewell about the emphasis of paying by card, not cash. I heard a few elderly people on Liveline complaining about being encouraged, in inverted commas, uh, by limiting their options, especially when it came to banks. Banks encouraging them to open online accounts. One lady in particular uh, felt she didn't want to bank online and she actually described it as a mild form of bullying by some of these organisations. Yeah, and if an older person, or indeed any person, feels intimidated into doing something, then I suppose, in a way, could you class it as a mild form of uh, bullying? You you probably could. Somebody else says, Patricia, just wait and see. In time, if we all do move to a cashless society, there will be hefty increases for using your card if they think they can make money out of it. That it might initially, everything is free, but suddenly there will be a charge for every time you tap your card. 0818 at 103 103. And can I also just say, I'm not ignoring the texts and the comments that are coming in. In relation to Seamus, who joined us earlier just giving the example of when a tenant goes bad and he cited the example of the tenant with a young child who rented the property that uh, Seamus was managing and Seamus uh, told us the story how she'd got a dog, she wasn't meant to have a dog in the property and then she vacated the property for about three weeks and she left the dog starved to death which is just horrendous to think about and when she came back she obviously had this dead dog which she then put into a plastic bag and put it in the wardrobe and then remained in the house for, Seamus reckoned, another few weeks, along with another room that was floor to ceiling with black bags full of rubbish. And then she eventually vacated the property. And obviously the condition the property was in when Seamus managed to get back in because this dog then had been uh, rotting away 
its remains rotting away for the bones of about uh, three months. But a number of people are pointing out that that particular lady needs help and that they they hope that the, she's getting some kind of help. And she's gone out of the area by all accounts. And people are worried about the child and how could you live in, you know, how could you let a dog starve to death and then come back and just put the dog in a plastic bag and remain in the house. I don't have any details about that woman or where that woman is. The only thing that Seamus knows is that the child has gone to live with um, her dad. Uh, but just I'm not ignoring people's comments but there's a number of people pointing that out that they, they reckon she needs some kind of medical intervention that she does need help. So thank you for people who have been calling in about that. And uh, also I can see some uh, gardening questions coming in for Peter. If you have those, uh, please keep those uh, coming uh, because we will be talking with Peter later on in this uh, hour. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls you can text, you can WhatsApp as well to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Lakela Men's Shed in Mallow. They are situated at the rear of the Lakela Family Centre on Fair Street. They meet Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursday evenings for the months of July, August and September. So they'll be meeting tonight between 7 and 9. New members are always welcome to uh, attend. The next draw for the Cadolary Lotto will be held in the office tomorrow afternoon. Jackpot of €4,100. Uh, While Ballonhasic Community Development Association are holding social dance in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasic on Friday night. Music is by Michael Sexton, dancing from half nine to 12.30, admission €10, and it does include tea. And Sean Ballymore GAA Club are holding a golf classic at Donnerell Golf Club. It's on this Saturday, teams of three for €150. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And don't forget, Elton John is playing Porky Cueve this Friday uh, night and we are throwing the biggest pre-party on uh, Leaside. We're inviting you to join C103 on the boardwalk at the wonderful Tequila Jacks this Friday from about four o'clock. And we'll be bringing the vibe for Elton John live, our own Ken Tobin, along with the C103 Street Fleet will be there. And you can pick up some freebies on your way to the concerts. That's Tequila Jacks, the only place to be in Cork City before you head to the Elton John concert on Friday. And we'll be we're there from four with C103 and the countdown really is on. Elton John fans getting very, very excited. Now, people are still commenting about this cashless society and are we moving towards uh, everything being done online and everything being done by tapping and contactless uh, payments. Uh, Hi, says this uh, texter. My husband used to work for a cash in transit van. They lost their job. It was nearly two years ago when I was in town last week. I was trying to find uh, an ATM uh, machine and there was... Uh, in town but it was down and a van in sight when I went to the ATM machine that I was trying to access. I mean that's the point I was making what happens when technology technology is great but technology can go wrong uh, as well. What happens then? Eileen Amado says the gentleman who spoke about being in Dublin went to try to buy the cup of coffee in the scone and it was cash only. Very same thing happened to me a few months ago. I happened to be on a visit to County Meath. When I went to pay for my coffee, sandwich and cake they told me sorry 
card only. Always carry cash, but I normally have a card with me. It was the one time I didn't have the card with me because I had a different purse with me as I was heading out. Now, my son had happened to set up Google Pay on my phone, which I'd never used before. So I opened it and scanned it and thankfully it did work. The girl behind the counter was very understanding. As I explained to her, I wasn't sure if this was going to work or not, but only for my phone, I would have been left standing there without my cup of coffee, my sandwich and my uh, cake. And Anne says, I use Apple Pay and I use it from my phone. I do it in most places and it has been said to me, similar to what Oon and Killarney were saying, Lightning, you're very advanced now. Get your family to set up Google or Apple Pay on your phone and you'll never look back, says Anne. And Eric says, ironically, now this is to do with will, will, will there be a cashless society or not? He happens to have two friends at the moment who are building uh, houses. One is a new build and one is a home renovation. And both of them are working with direct labour and they are being asked by large number of the tradespeople for cash for the work that they're, they're doing. And one example was a Tyler says, will you be paying by cash or will you be paying by card? And Eric's friend said, why? And they said, well, if you're paying by cash through the books, it'll be 2,500 if you decide to pay in cash. I can do that tiling job for 1,250, which is exactly half the price. Um, so cash, using examples like that, according to Eric, cash won't be going anywhere. Also, his dad, who was el- elderly, was asked for a card payment recently and he refused. And he said cash is legal tender. The staff ended up having to call the manager in the establishment because they were claiming they only took cards. And the manager in the end had to concede and said he's right. Cash is legal tender. So they had to take the cash from Eric's dad. Well done to him for standing his ground as well. See, I think everyone, not everyone would be as confident as to stand at their ground. And Eileen said when the banks were propping each other up a few years, is reflecting on when the banks were propping each other up, can we trust them now with all our money? As everything at the moment, bank-wise, seems to be within, all of our money now seems to be within the banks. There's something about physically having cash in your in your hand because you know exactly how much you have. Okay, we're going to take a break and then we are back with uh, Peter Dowdle answering all of your gardening questions. Still time for you to get a gardening question into us, please. John Paul's taking the calls at 0818103103 and you can text or WhatsApp a gardening question. It comes directly to me here at the studio to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, the Irish Guardian.com, uh, joins me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, even though we're just all moaning and groaning about the weather and it feels like the middle of November. But I was looking at the long range and it's better for next week. We're looking at high teens, low 20s. I don't know if it was you or John Paul that I was saying to, but I think as soon as this period of unsettled uh, bad weather passes, I think we're in for a month or if not six months of good weather. Patricia. We, we, will, we will hold you to that. Let's get straight <laughs> yeah. into questions. This one in from Mary in the Wild West is how she signs her name. Hi, Peter. Uh, can most cuttings be taken now or is it too soon? When I take cuttings and they root, how should I look after them over winter and next spring if they aren't ready to plant inside or outside? Do I water or not water? Thanking you for any help and advice. 
Okay, well, there's a few questions in that from Mary in the Wild West. Um, the the you can't give a you can't give a hundred percent answer to that question in that not all cuttings can be taken at this time of the year. No, however, many plants. Yes, I suppose the vast majority of our garden plants, you would say, yes, can be taken from cuttings at this time of the year or or slips, if you like. So the the way to do it is you you make the the, the important bit to stress is that the base of of any cutting is at a node. So a node is is uh, the the point where the leaves meet the stem or the, or where the the stems join. They're nodes, and the reason that's important is that's the kind of as I said to you before, that's the magical part of the plant. That's where all the hormones are based and. And so that's where the auxins are, which are going to stimulate root development. Okay, so it needs to be this year's growth. So current year's growth, base of the cutting at a, a node, depending on what we're taking, it could be two to three to four inches, maybe even a bit longer in length. Uh, and the top of the cutting should be a node as well. We need to remove what we call the terminal bud, Trish, which is, it might be a flower bud or it might be a leaf bud, but it's the central bud, the top, the tip of the, of the cutting, if you like, that needs to come out leave uh, one, sometimes maybe two pairs of leaves, depending on what we're taking, into a bit of rooting powder, into into a little small pot or seed tray filled with compost. And then depending on which variety you're growing or you're, you're trying to grow from a cutting, you'll have varying degrees of success. Once you have them rooted, whatever it is, um, depending on what do you do to get to the next part of a question do you leave them out for the winter or in for the winter well that depends on the variety so if it's a if it's a frost hardy shrub that you're growing well the cutting will be absolutely frost hardy as well just because it's tiny doesn't mean it won't be it'll be any different so don't worry about that but equally if it's a frost tender or a, a you know something that can't tolerate low temperatures well then that would need to be in for the winter so that'll answer that. And as regards watering, you'd water it the same way as you would, a, a, you know, a more mature plant. If you think in the pot it's drying out and it needs water, water it. Certainly not at the start, but before root development. But once it's got roots, uh, kind of go with your gut on it. Uh, and and bear in mind during the winter, obviously, all plants will require less watering. Well, number one, nature will be giving it. But number two, they're not actively growing, so they won't mm. need that much. Okay, Sean says his hydrangeas are very slow to flower this year. He said, normally they're in full bloom by now. Any advice and what would be the reason? It's the, well, it's the, it's the, the, excuse me, the magical word for gardeners. It's patience. Mine are, mine are a bit slow too, actually. In fact, I was just looking at the first of them coming out last night. Um, so yeah, it's just patience. It's just one of those things. I, I The answer to the question as to why, I don't have any tips except just, just give it a bit of time. Uh, the answer to, to why, I suspect it's it's the just weather. the weather. It's yeah, just yeah. daylight hours and temperatures, yeah. Okay, Martin is is looking for your view on ash dieback. He spotted a, a tweet that was from Northern Ireland saying that the ash dieback is back and it's decimating the landscape and that in May there was only very few ash trees in Northern Ireland that were leafing and the, the person who was tweeting it were hope, was hoping it was just that uh, they were late to leaf this year. Uh, Martin is wondering, is, is ash dieback back? Yes, I would say it is certainly to the best of my knowledge. No, I'm I'm not an expert on ash dieback, but I mean I do recognise it, uh, and it does seem to be back. And I have seen some some um, some social media posts from people who who would would know and do work in the area uh, where they have seen symptoms of ash dieback. Yes, unfortunately. So I would say yes. Now I don't want everybody to panic on saying that um, because I'm not sure off the top of my head what current guidelines and regulations are. But I would say, yes, there are symptoms of it, uh, certainly on the island, yeah. That's the wood that hurdies are made from, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a, it actually is a very valuable tree yeah. in Ireland. Yeah, and it is what what hurlies are made from. Yeah. Okay, Mary is in Skibbereen, is growing sweet peas, but she says they're not doing too good. She says <coughs> she it looks like something's eating them, and it's almost like there's a mildew on them in the morning. What could be going wrong with her sweet peas? Well, again, I, I can I can attest to that by saying mine aren't thriving yet either. Uh, and I, the, the the rain actually over the last couple of days um, has really improved them. That they, 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 they they've nearly doubled in size with the rain. Even though I was watering them, I was being good. Uh, but they're they're I would say a good month behind where they normally would be at this time of the year. Um, so I'd say that's again probably because of the weather and the low temperatures relatively late into the into the the, the late spring. Um, I imagine what's eating them is slugs. It'll be the most common pest to eat them. So do use some kind of wool barrier pellet around them. I've been using that around my sweet peas this year and very, very effectively. Uh, I have no slug damage and you're you're not putting in any poisons into the ground. It's just a, a wool pellet made from sheep's wool um, that the slugs can't get over. So it does protect the sweet peas. Uh, the mildew could be some kind of fungal problem, which again, we're having a very damp week at the moment, maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and that could be causing fungal problems. Maybe a small bit of copper sulfate around them, uh, and just just cross your fingers and, and pray for a bit of sunshine. Really, yeah. And you can see it with the, all the questions coming in. It's it's things are behind time, but it's it's very much to do with the weather. Somebody has an acer in a pot. It's there about four years. Uh, what can I fertilize it with? As it seems to be struggling a bit. And by the way, the pot is big enough. Okay, well, no matter how big the pot, it will always have a finite amount of, of resources in terms of nutrients and, and, and you know, food available to the, to the acer. So when something like this is growing in a pot, you're right to learn, the caller is right to look at um, what to feed it with, because you'll have to, if it's growing in the open ground, obviously, it should get everything it needs from the soil. But when it's in a pot, it's an artificial environment. So it will need to be helped along. And I would look, the, the best one that I, I use is uh, the Nature Safe one, which is the one made up in Galway. Um, it's a seaweed, but it's cold pressed seaweed and it's also sustainably harvested. So that's obviously very, very important. Um, it's very, very rich in, in all the nutrients that plants need. Uh, you know it by pouring it out, actually. It's, so it's really a rich, thick liquid. Um, so dilute that with water, water it onto the acer in the pot, do it a couple of times a year. And I think that should be enough for it. You're going to love this one from a listener. A gardening question for Peter, please. We have rewilded the lawn this year and we absolutely love it. We just cut the curbside and we've cut a path through. Uh, what would Peter's advice be, though, at the end of the summer? Should we strim and remove the grass so that we have a meadow again next year? And when is the ideal time to do that? Yeah, well, the, the ideal time, again, will vary from year to year slightly, just depending on, again, temperatures. So when, when and it's a lovely thing to do, let it just go back to nature. It's when the um, when the flowers and everything else is more or less finished and gone to seed, which could be middle September, end of September, middle of October, that, that kind of time frame, you do strim it. So strim it relatively low. Uh, leave the trimmings there so that the seeds will disperse back into the soil but only for a few weeks don't leave them there long term because it'll lead to just a, a mess at ground level and again ideal conditions for fungal development of fungal infections so don't leave the trimmings on the ground uh, leave them there for a few weeks so the seeds as I say will go back into the soil but then rake them away and send them off to the compost bin and really that's all you need to do and let it to nature again yeah, and I love the fact that they love us <laughs> they're so thrilled about what they've done and it's cutting down on all the work that they need to do being out mowing the lawn every couple of well, weeks well it is it, it yeah. really is Yeah, and I, you know where I was Trish at the weekend was in the community park in Douglas they were launching oh, their, yeah, yeah. their biodiversity action yeah. plan so I was, I was 
was roped in and happy to be roped in to answer a few questions down there. Um, and they've they've uh, they've uh, instated some lovely wildflower areas in the park in Douglas, and uh, it, you know fabulous. it's really capturing the imagination. I'm glad to see. Yeah, it's great. Hi, gardening question, please. I have a large palm tree in a deep pot. It's right outside my front door. It's not looking good at the moment, and it's lost its beautiful green colour. A lot of dusty lorries are passing by as there's a building houses going on nearby. Is there anywhere I can bring it back? It's dull and dusty looking. When people say palm trees, uh, Trish, they, they kind of, it's a term that can cover a multitude. So it can be used to describe conifers, so cypresses and pines and things like that. But it can also be used, and I suppose more correctly used, to describe the cordelines and trachycarpus. They're the kind of spiky-leaved exotic palms, if you know what I mean. Mm. I suspect, listening to the question, that we're talking about a conifer, uh, that type of palm, palm Sunday palm tree, if you like. Um it, we were just talking a minute ago about the acer growing in a pot and how that can be survive long term in a pot with good feeding. Conifers, I would say the opposite. They can't really survive long term in a pot, no matter how how good, how decent the size the pot is. So really the only way, yes, I mean, the answer to your question is, yes, you can get it back to that lovely, vibrant green color, but you'll need to either put it into a bigger pot and a substantially bigger pot uh, or into the open ground. I think feeding it is you're wasting your time, really, if the pot is too small. Yeah, so it just needs a bigger pot. Uh, hi, I've got apple trees. They're literally bent over with the blossoms every year, but then I get very few apples. I protect it from frost. I cover it with netting when it's windy. Lots of blossoms, but why such? Few, why so few flowers? Why so few apples? It, it could be one of a few reasons. Now, it most likely is that they they're they're not pollinating partners, if you like. So. What that means, without getting too far into it, Trish, you, you have different seasons within the one flowering season of apples. So in other words, you have early in the flowering season, mid flowering season and late flowering season. Uh, and as a general rule of thumb, if you have two from the same early, medium or late, they should pollinate each other. It goes a bit further then that some need more than one pollinator. They're what's called triploids. Um, so in the first instance, you need to make sure that you have apple trees that would pollinate each other or that are good pollinators for each other. That could well be the problem. The second thing is uh, bees, if there aren't enough of the pollinating insects around. So if it is in a windy situation, and do you know what? I've seen more and more of this over the last few years. We're hearing the headlines about, you know, habitat and species extinction, and you're seeing it manifest itself in, in things not pollinating as well. So it could be just a lack of pollinators. So maybe plant some wildflowers or some pollinator friendly plants under the bees to draw the pollinators in and to give them somewhere safe in your garden over the winter. That's the second thing that you need to look at. And the third thing that you want to look at is, uh, and actually, even though you might you might laugh at me when I say this today, given the weather, but actually the 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 weather during the time of blossom was quite dry. We had quite a dry few weeks. And that is also that the can be a problem in that the fruits may form, but they may fall off. Mm. Um, so it could be one of the three of them, I would suspect, is the is is the issue. OK, hi, uh, Peter. Can I plant out peonies now? And what's the best planting advice? Well, absolutely. If you say plant them out, I presume they're, they're in pots and you want to plant them into the ground. So, yes, you can. Best planting advice I can give you is give them a relatively sunny position, more sun than shade, um, and give them a good, deep, rich soil. Don't plant the plant itself too deeply. So the, 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 the kind of the eye of the plant, which is the top of the root system, if you like, just where the, the, the leaves and the, the shoots come from, that should be just at our 
just under, like even just an inch under the soil level. Uh, they can be quite deep rooted. So obviously the roots can go quite deep, but the, that tip should be just in or around soil level. Give them a good rich soil, the, the, the good amount of organic matter like compost. You can be your own homemade compost um, and keep them well watered and then off you go. But but do think a bit before you plant them because peonies are one of these plants that once they're planted, they don't really like to be moved. So make sure you're getting the the um, the positioning right. And uh, Teresa says, hi, hi, Peter, my potatoes that I grew in bags got blight. Can I put the earth back into the ground or do I need to dispose of it? Depends what you want to grow on the ground. So if you want to grow potatoes or, or, or tomatoes or anything in that ground, then no, I certainly would not. But I mean, if you're just putting it into um, an ornamental plant bed or, or something like that, I would say, yeah, you're OK to use it. OK. Um, I, hi, a quick question for Peter. Um, will, will potatoes grow in a big greenhouse? Oh, absolutely, or even a small greenhouse for that matter. Um, but yeah, you can grow potatoes in a greenhouse. That you, You'll have them just to harvest. You'll need to pay attention to watering, obviously. Uh, but you'll have them just ready to harvest earlier if you're growing them indoors. Absolutely. OK, and a final one. Hi, I pruned a hydrangea early last year. I got no flowers in that just leaves. Now, this year, I've lovely green, green leaves and four. I it back too much last year. Is that what the problem is? It's as simple as that. And if you remember, remember, Trish, and I'm sure we'll have these questions again as we're coming into hydrangea time of the year, uh, is seven nodes. If you prune below seven nodes, um, you won't have a flower that, that year. So what that means is if you count from the ground up, you're pruning during the winter so there'll be no leaves, but you'll very quite easily see the leaf buds, which are nodes. And if you counting from the ground up, if you leave less than seven, you won't have flowers on your hydrangea. So seven or more is the rule of thumb. But the, yeah, in the years to come, you'll, 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 they'll flower again, so don't worry. Yeah, and I still always question who came up with that number seven. All right, we leave it there. <laughs> um, Peter, have you a busy week? Uh, it is busy. It's the time of year to be very busy. And yeah. if I could give a quick shout out very briefly again, another hospice garden for Marymount right. Open. It's not this weekend, Trish, but July the 9th in Currabinny. And what really is one worth getting to, it's Roger and Alison Flack in Currabinny, which is the home. And, and many of you, the older listeners might remember the name Nancy Minchin, who had a very famous garden in Currabinny. It's now being, being curated by Roger and Alison, and that's open on July the 9th. That's one not to miss, along with John and Sandra Stone, who also have a garden open for the hospice on July the 9th in Currabinny. So we'll, keep an eye on the, the Marymount Hospice website we'll, anyway for we'll details. We'll remind listeners next weekend as well. Listen, have a lovely week and we'll chat next Wednesday. Thanks, Thanks for Bye-bye. that. Uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgarden.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.